You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. Darkness and light, though. Constant, like eternal mythological battle, right? Something that's always there. So that's obviously uh, somewhere I'm going today in John 8. Jesus calls himself the light of the world, and that's where we're going. So why don't you open up to John 8? We're going to talk about that for a while today. Um, so the, the passage here covers a couple of different ideas about this, but it really does revolve around uh, the darkness and the light, the, the reality that a lot of people live in darkness and that Jesus is the light. So with that in mind, all the Star Wars aside, let's focus on who, who Jesus is, right? Um, I'm going to read the verse, uh, verses 12 through 20 for us, and then we'll talk about that, and then we'll, we'll proceed forward. So just to set this, the, story, the stage a little bit, this is still at the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus said, I am the, the, the living water, that it's still the same situation. They're still there. So this has been uh, a long conversation he's having with these guys. So in verse 12 it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. That's the first thing we're going to talk about here. Now the bulk of that passage I just read to you is just a rehash of the same argument they'd had about when he said he was the living water. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because Sean really got into that in depth a couple weeks ago. But um, it, the, the, the question was, where does Jesus get his authority? Who do you think you are? Right? Yeah, you can see that in there. And Jesus verified to them where his authority came from again. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at this. If Jesus felt it necessary to repeat himself to those folks, and John felt it necessary to repeat it, it's important. Right? It's certainly important. And as people who follow Jesus that read the Bible, we need to be able to trust that Jesus has authority from God and, and take, that, take him at his word there. Um, I, I can't elaborate any more than Sean did. He did a, a great job with that. So I, I, I do want to talk about some other stuff, but it is important to know that, that Jesus has authority to say what he said. He was challenged by those folks, and he answered them, um, and, and we can listen to him in, in confidence. So him, him declaring the, himself the light of the world, what's that about? Okay. So in the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they had two major kind of ceremonies they did. One was drawing of water, which produced the living water conversation a couple weeks ago. The other was lighting of some candles. They, they lit some stuff up to, to you know, talk about God being the light of the world and that kind of thing. Um, so it was a very big part of the ceremony. Think um, like Hanukkah when they light the candles there too. It's a, it, it, lighting of lights is a, a big part of the, the Jewish tradition. Um, so this wasn't him just kind of making a random statement. He was making a very clear statement about himself. And what he was doing was inserting himself into the scripture where he belongs, right? Those scriptures are about him. So there's a couple from Isaiah I want to read to you just to give you a sense of where he was coming from. Uh, the first is from Isaiah 42. Uh, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. In other words, this was God talking to his chosen one. 
telling him what he was going to do. He was going to open people's eyes by being the light of the world, and which we know, of course, Jesus did. And that's what he was trying to do for these folks. He was trying to help them see out of their darkness that they were in, right? They were living in darkness, and he was trying to illuminate that for them. The other is from Isaiah 9. Uh, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but that's the one that ends, in, that ends that we always read at Christmas time. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, wonderful counselor, all, those, all that you know, stuff we hear at Christmas time. That's about Jesus coming to open up people's eyes and give them the light and, and get into the darkness. So this is what Jesus was saying about himself. He was putting himself in that spot and saying, I'm that guy. Okay, um, so for the, the folks at the time, that was pretty shocking. That was a, well, who do you think you are moment, right? That's why they asked him. For us, put it into context here, for us, this would be similar to at the Super Bowl, uh, game-winning play going to happen, on the goal line, ready to go, timeout, okay, everybody, the, the teams come back out on the field, and some other player, or better yet, one of us, if they let us on the field without punching us, right, one of us walks up and says, nope, nope, I got it, get out of the way, Tom, I got this, right? That's what that's like, is someone else just stepping up and saying, I'm in charge here. So that's, that's what Jesus is claiming to be. We often hear that Jesus didn't really claim to be much. He just kind of did his thing. He said a lot of stuff that made it very clear he knew who he thought he was. This is, these two things, I'm the living water and I'm the light of the world. Very clearly he's stating, you guys should pay attention to who I am because I'm from God. And he t I'm, my father sent me, right? It, the, the folks who want to like downplay who Jesus thought he was and said he was have not really kind of paid attention. This is pretty clear. Okay, so his, his statement there is setting the stage to say, hey, I'm something special, listen to this. Okay, so, so moving on to the next set of verses is uh, verses 21 to 29. He's gonna start to tell him what he came to tell him, right? The eye in the light of the world was, hey, pay attention. They challenged him, he answered again. Now this is what I'm trying to tell you, okay? Verses 21 to 29 say this. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where am I going, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to, Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have had much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So here's that, that theme of darkness versus light, the good versus the bad, okay? The, the idea here, Jesus is basically, he's throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying, guys, I'm the light of the world, listen up. And now, <laughs> darkness versus light. I'm, you're from below, I'm from above. I'm of this world, you're not, or you're of this world, I'm not of this world. You're gonna die in your sin unless you believe in me and live, right? He, he's laying it right out. There's no wishy-washiness to this. It's very straightforward. He's, he's telling them what's what. Even later, he's going to hit them up with, my father is in heaven, yours is from below. My father's better than your father kind of thing. He's, he's lighting right into them. Yeah, he treats the Pharisees that way sometimes, right? You know, we see uh, Jesus have very different mannerisms to different folks. The, the woman at the well, he's very gentle, talked to her, you know, was true and, and, you know, didn't give in, but he was gentle. Nicodemus, you're, you're, 
Israel's teacher, you don't know these things. These guys, he's letting them have it. So this is a letting them have it time, okay? So the heart of the matter of all this conversation really resides in verse 24, I think. If you take a look at that, I'll read it for you again. Uh, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe in, believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the heart of this, guys, right? That's the heart of the gospel, truly, is the, the faith in Christ. Are you, are you going to trust him, or are you going to do your own thing? And I think it's interesting, as, as I, I read this study up for this, there, there's a little bit, he changes his language a little bit here, and it, it actually is important. Lots of times we get hung up on language and what does this word mean and stuff. It can be useful, it cannot. I think here it's a useful one, okay? In verse 21, he says, you will die in your sin, singular. And here in verse 24, he says, you will die in your sins, plural. And there's a difference there, okay? The, the sin he's referring to is the state of their heart, the fact that they were born in sin and they don't believe that their hearts are wicked by nature, and they have no interest in doing what God wants. And then their sins are the things that they do because of that, their disobedience to God, all the sins that we all do, right, that stuff. And what it really does is he's, he's covering the whole package here. He's not letting anybody off the hook, right? We're all in that boat. We're all sinful by nature, and we've all done bad stuff. Nobody can hide from any one of those things, and we're all fo face, facing this fate, okay? So it's really an important fact that, that he's... he's bringing to, to the front with his language. And you know whether they understood it or not, whether I understood it the first time I read it or not, I don't know, but it's there. So we, we can all kind of um, absorb that. And I think it's an important fact that we need to, to have in our minds. If, if we're interested in being the light to the people in the darkness, which is kind of the point of our whole purpose here is to help people see this, right? Um, if we want to do that, we need to have an understanding of how that works so that when we can see them misunderstanding, we can help them, right? Because they're going to misunderstand it. They live in the darkness. That's how it is. So most people probably get the feeling or the, the natural thought in their heart or what's been taught to them by the world or whatever is that, you know, the, the way this works is that we're all pretty much good. And God's this, he's that guy, he's just putting a bunch of rules out there and he's setting us up for failure and waiting for us to mess up to stick it to us, right? Because at heart, we're all good people. Right? That, that's that's the, the misunderstanding, and, and essentially, it's a lie that people believe. Okay, at heart, we're not. Our heart is sinful, and uh, you know the and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Really, it's who we are as people. Right, it's not something that we can all point at each other and say, you know, you're worse than I am. We're all there. So that then people do feel that way. So what we're we're what we're tasked to help people understand is that's not the way it is. That in general, we're not good people at heart. We have disobedience to God at the center of our being, and Got to sort that out, right? Um, and and with that, people tend to feel like God's condemning them and, you know, just, like I said, ready to stick it to them and, and cause them grief. But it's actually the other way around. And Jesus made this very clear earlier in the John. Actually, the intro video that we played, I didn't pick that. It was very, very fortuitous because I'm going to read the follow-up to John 3.16 that we saw in that video, the God so loved the world. I'm going to read to you John 3 and 17 following to 21 because this really talks about what Jesus is talking about here. Um, should be on the screen for us, yeah. So, for God did not send it, the, I'll read John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? That, that deal. But the next sentence is, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, the light here we go, light and dark, right? The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, there's the reality of our situation that most people don't want to think about. Okay, the fact is that we are living in darkness by nature. We don't want to deal with that because we like that darkness, but the light exposes us. And the reaction to that is to run back to the darkness or to go to the light. Okay, and that's that's what we're, we're getting at here. That's what Jesus is getting at with these folks. Okay, the the darkness light kind of theme is uh, you know an evident thought because if you think about when bad stuff happens, it usually happens when people can't see or you're you know especially looking at your think about yourself. Don't think about the world. There's a lot of bad stuff that people do right out in the open. I know that, but for most of us, we tend to be a little bit ashamed of our bad stuff and try to hide it. Right, and that, that's what this is talking about. And our response to when that light comes in our world should be to flee that bad stuff and run to the light. Right, that, that's as followers of Christ, that's what we should do. But the world, not following Christ, is going to run to the darkness. So there's a very clear break there, very clear break. And that's what Jesus is talking about to these guys. Um, unless you're listening to me, unless you're seeing that I'm the light, you're going to die in your sins, guys. You, you have to understand and break past that darkness that's consuming your brain. Okay. So their response to him. Classic. They they can't get off of this same drumbeat. Who are you? Right. That's what they said to him. In fact, the the way they said it was, "Who do you think you are?" That was the basically the idiom they used. Who do you think you are? Um, and the emphasis there was on who does Jesus think he is. They were straight up challenging him. Okay. And his response was very patient. I mean, consider our responses to people when we tell them what's going on. They ask a question, we repeat ourselves, and then they ask it again. Right, that most of us are going to be a little frustrated with that. Okay, that, that's how that works. Jesus just, he said, just as I told you before, <laughs> I came from my father and you went through the whole thing again. And, and what he really was trying to clarify him to is, is, I've told you and you're not listening to me, guys. Right? This, this has become not a debate upon these facts because I answered your question. Now it's becoming a debate of your heart. It, it, it's boiling down to they don't want to hear it and they think they already know what's what. And that, that's how they're proceeding in this conversation. They're too focused on what they already know, in quotes, right? And they're not hearing from God. They're, they're truly in darkness. They're clueless and lost, and it's sad for them, right? That, that's the, the reality. Um, and Jesus is trying to bring the light. He's trying to help them. He's trying to illuminate that for them. And guys, that's our task, too, for those around us who are in the same boat, right? We're, we're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, may not want to know Jesus, but our task is to share the light with them and help them to see how they can not live in the darkness anymore. Okay, so so that that we're seeing Jesus do this in front of us, and you know what? He brings them down to the ultimate reality, and and sometimes we have to go there with people too, right? This is sometimes part of the conversation. He tells them, "When you see me lifted up, then you're going to know, right? When he's crucified, they're going to realize." Is what he's telling them, and it's interesting the way he says this because again, in the language thing, and I'm not. I read this, okay? This is not something I knew off the top of my head. People who know this stuff told me. Um, the way he said this is different here than he says it in most places. I looked at those other places, and they were right. He often says uh, something to the effect of when the Son of Man is lifted up. People who know this stuff call it the passive voice, when that thing happens to me, okay? Here he says, when you lift me up. He's putting it right on them. He's letting them know that their sin and their actions are what are putting him on the cross, as did ours. Right? The, the sinfulness of man is what put him on the cross. Those guys in that spot, the Pharisees of that day, they definitely were active in that process, but everybody's responsible for putting him on the cross. And he's, he's putting it on them to know their responsibility so that they can break out of that darkness to know that that responsibility falls on me for my sin. And I'm going to pay that price 
but this guy's going to do it for me, right? That whole process of how Jesus paid for our sins, he's telling him up front. He's giving him a, a spoiler, right? Telling him what's going to happen. So think about that. Think about if you heard this, right? You're standing in the crowd. You'll know when I get lifted up, and then eventually that happens, and you realize now you know. That can go one of two ways, right? That can go from this guy's crazy, whatever, you know, let's kill him kind of thing to, oh, man, he said this is going to happen. This, a lot of stuff said is true. That can go to a salvation and joy that you can live in following Christ. Or imagine the other guys feeling the weight of that and know they killed an innocent man and not reconciling with Jesus and the, the grief that comes with that, right? And that's what everybody faces in that decision. Are you going to follow Christ and have joy? Are you going to face the music yourself? And that's not so joyous, right? That's, that, that's the, the place we're in. And he's trying to let us know that. He's trying to put them in a position where they can't avoid that decision. He's, he's taking all of their excuses away, as, as we'll see. We'll continue on. Pretty weighty stuff there. Pretty weighty stuff. So as he finishes up this conversation, actually this conversation doesn't finish. We're, gonna, we're not going to finish it today. It's a long conversation. It's like almost three chapters long. So we're going to uh, finish up a piece of it, and Sean will carry it on next week. We're going to step into uh, verses 30 through 38 to finish up here. So as he was, it says in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed to him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide my, in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Great, very well-quoted verse, right? We've all heard that. People use it out of context a lot of times, but the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I know you are an offspring, now I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay? So he ends this piece of the conversation with another one of his uh, classic not answering the question statements. And he gets right into slavery versus freedom. That's the last piece. And this is, I think, the most important piece. Because as we um, think the progression here, he's telling him who he is. He's the light of the world, trying to tell him there's a difference here between light and darkness, and you guys are in the wrong spot. And at the end, he's like, you're slaves. You gotta, you're, you're lost unless you do this. He's really bringing it home. The, the rest of that has been a lead up. This is the, the heart of the matter. So it's actually kind of encouraging at first, right? As, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Great, the message got through, people were saved, right? I don't know. Take a look at what it says here after this. They contradict him immediately. They, their first answer was not about uh, abiding in him or anything. It was about their national heritage and who you call in a slave. That's what it was about, right? They contradicted him immediately. Believe is a really tricky word, guys. Um, and it, it, as I just was reading it, I was looking at it more. They, they believed in him in verse 30, but then in verse 31, believed him. Those in themselves are two different things. Okay, Believing in carries some weight. Believed him, he might have just said the sky is blue and they believed him. Right? There, there's, who knows exactly what that means. Their actions speak louder than their words, and his comments speak even louder than that. Okay, um, They go to the... Uh, here's how it works. They're... they're disagreeing with him because the implications of his statements and the consequent life change that's going to come offended them. They didn't like that. They didn't want to deal with it. And if that's not 
a picture of many conversations you will have had if you've tried to share your faith with people, I don't know what would be, right? You try to talk to people, they get it at first, they like the idea of Jesus and he's a good teacher and oh, I can be saved from my sin, but then, well, it requires like actually doing something with your life, like making a change to yourself. It's one of the reasons we use the word surrender here instead of just believe in Jesus because the concept of surrender is really the implication, you gotta give your life up to Jesus. You can't just say, I think he's a good guy. Right, you got to let him take charge, and if, if you're not doing that, you're you're going to fall into this group. There, there's a parable of the sower, many of you are familiar with, whereas the seeds fell on different ground, different results happened, and in some of those, it appeared like people were believing that this the plant took root and grew, but eventually fell away. Then that's kind of what these guys are in some sense, is they at first like the idea. Well, oh, there goes that. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen too. Our nice carpet, wonderful, wonderful. Sorry. Um, the, uh, where was I? Oh, the idea that it's great, I, I, I like the idea of following Jesus, but then things get hard and I don't want to do that anymore, okay? And that, that they, they got here right real quick. They got here within a sentence or two, okay? Um, so they, they put up that wall of, wait a minute, what you're saying kind of thing, I don't know, you know, I was never a slave, my family's never a slave. Um, the kind of, well, hold on here thing. And their, their response to his discussion was all smoke and mirrors. It had nothing to do with their national heritage, whether they've been slaves or not. Okay, It had to do with what was in their heart. And Jesus is awesome. He directed it right to it. Wait a minute. You know, we we're children of Abraham. We've, not been, we've not, never been slaves. What are you talking about? Which is false, of course. These are Pharisees who know the law of Moses. What's the entire book of Exodus about? Being slaves, okay, so whatever, okay. So anyway, but Jesus didn't even call them on that, right? Didn't even call them on it. Let them go on with their, their nonsense. Went right to the heart of the matter. Oh, so we're not been slaves? Really? Well, listen to this. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Boom. Right? You, whatever this Abraham stuff, you're a slave to sin because you're practicing sin, guys. Oh, right back, right? Now, I, most of us don't have the capability to have that conversation with folks, and probably shouldn't, because that's pretty, that's pretty tough, right? That's a, that's a pretty aggressive statement, but he knew it was in their hearts, and he, he knew the game they were playing, and they were trying to argue with him as Pharisees and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know that any of us really should take that aggressive tone most times. You'll be there. You figure it out. But Jesus being Jesus did what he did, right? So he, he talks to them about the, the, the slavery to sin that they have, and that's really the heart of the matter for everybody in terms of that lightness versus darkness debate, right? That's why the, the idea of um, the, their sin versus their sins, that sin idea of your heart being you know, not right with God, that's the heart of everything, no pun intended. That's the heart of it, right? The, the fact that we are slaves to sin make it impossible for us to please God. They're, they're talking about their ancestry and stuff, and they're just clueless and blind and lost and in the darkness, and Jesus is trying to bring light to them. So that's the reality of sin for all of us. Okay. Now, most of this conversation has been directed at these people who don't believe. Okay. And it, it's good conversation for us to have to think about how to relate to folks who, who don't follow Christ if we want to help them follow Christ. Right? It's important for us to have those conversations. But somewhere in here, we got to have how do we live. Okay. And I think this, this, is, this slavery to sin thing is a good conversation to have for us, too. Because um, we're all in a place where slave or sin has grips on us, okay? Um, very clearly, and I'm going to read to you in a bit, people who follow Christ are no longer slaves to sin. That's an important deal, but it has its grips. We all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with things that, that put us in bad places. So I want to 
talk about that for us. I, I, in, in reading this, I, I right in the commentary I was reading, the guy quoted some rabbis from, from the, like the 100s and 300s AD, Jewish rabbis writing about sin, and he was commenting about these guys should have known because their own rabbis knew type of thing. Um, this wasn't new ideas. So here's some quotes from some rabbis about how sin affects us, and I think it's really good for us, even though it's not you know, the gospel. It's, I think it's a good idea here. At the beginning, it is like a spider's thread, but finally it will be like a ship's rope. The sneakiness of sin, right? Little bits, little bits here and there, and eventually you're tied up and you can't get out of it, right? That was from 100 AD. Another one, at the beginning, it is like a guest, and later it will become like the ruler of the household. You give it a foothold, and it takes over eventually. That was from 300 AD. Now this one, this is going to get me in trouble. I don't care. This is funny, all right? So 325 AD, context, okay? At the beginning, it is weak like a woman. Afterward, it will be strong like a man. Ooh. <laughs> All right, that just cracked me up that they wrote that. That's funny stuff, right? But, you know, we won't say that now, of course. Bad, bad. No, no. But, you know, the spider's thread, ship's rope, uh, guest in the house, take over your house. Very real. Very real analogies, right? Um, for us, as Christians even, we've got to be careful with that. So I want to use a different word for sin. I, I think it'll help us because sin is that one of those Bible words. It has a connotation that people tend to make negative if they had, you know, bad experiences with Christian people or whatever, I want to change it to the word disobedience. Okay, I think that would be a more helpful way to understand what's going on. Um, because sin is disobeying God's law. <laughs> so disobedience works, right? I think it's more uh, appropriate and more helpful and more telling, actually, because disobedience starts as a decision. You can't claim ignorance. You can't say, well, I didn't know, and I just kind of did it. You know what you did and decided to do it. That's what disobedience is. Okay, And that's I, guys, let's be honest with ourselves. Have you ever done anything that you knew was wrong without deciding to do it and just saying, I, I didn't understand? No. If you didn't know something was wrong, okay, whatever. I, I get that. That happens. But generally speaking, the things that we do that, as followers of Christ, we might classify as sins, we knew what we were doing, and we decided to do it. Okay? Um, so I think that really helps, and it starts right in the heart and the mind, right? And that's the difference between that singular sin I was referring to earlier. That's what that is. My heart's deciding what to do versus the plural sins, the actions that come from that. And neither are good, but our heart's natural state of disobedience is a source. That's the source of all of those things that you do that are wrong. Everything that you do that's sinful in your daily life, whether it be in your brain, your actions, whatever it is, and it happens on a regular basis, right? We all do those things. That starts from your heart, not from the circumstances around you, not from the, uh, the things that you're doing. It starts from the decisions you're making, right? And that's why uh, our hearts are just in that natural disobedience and do that. And in John 3, that passage I read to you following up from God so loves the world, that's why people stand condemned already, right? That, that's the way it is. That, that's, it's not a... Um, it's not an accident that happened later. Their hearts are that way from birth, right? And that's the sad part of it. You know, Adam and Eve left us a great legacy there, right? That's how that is. And they're stuck. So regardless, and this is back to people who don't follow Christ, regardless of the nice things they do, how nice of a person they are, they're stuck under the thumb of that sinful heart that they have, and they can't get out of it. Uh, and make no mistake, there are plenty of people who don't follow Christ that do nice things, that are good people, right? Friendly, happy, you know them, I know them. Nothing wrong with them, but their hearts are not following Christ. And at the end, that disobedient heart will condemn them. And we need to help them out of that. That's our task, is to help them out of that. Um, 
So a lot of that conversation, like I said, is about people who, who oppose Jesus, right? How do we follow him then, right? As we think about how we deal with this, the Bible makes it clear, like I said, I'm going to read here in a bit, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are not under an obligation to sin. As people who don't follow Jesus, who haven't surrendered to them, you can't help yourself. In fact, it's surprising that you do as many good things as you do, right? That's actually the, the thing. Um, your, your heart is going to lead you down that road. For us, it's the other way around. Our hearts are no longer under that compulsion. We are free from that. And to quote another movie, comic book kind of thing, with great freedom, I change the word, with great freedom comes great responsibility, okay? When we're free, we don't have to do that and we're responsible not to. So we are tasked with thinking about, as we follow Christ, how to go to the light, right? In John, it said the people in the darkness stay in the darkness because they like their dark stuff. But people who do things in the light want to go to the light because they want God to be glorified. I'll translate that one to us. They want the things that they have done to be seen to be done in God. They want God to get the glory. Okay, so that, that's what we should be doing, is doing the right stuff and running to the light and letting it be known that God did this in us. Okay, so talking about trying to think about how to talk about that stuff, um, we could go on and on. That could be a whole other sermon about the good things we're supposed to do and the way we're supposed to behave and all that. I, I just realized there's a couple of passages that are a little bit long, but I'm going to read them to you because I can't say it any better than the Bible says it. These are the things that are going to help you stay in the light. Okay, Romans 6 is one of those. Romans 6, verse 16 says this, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. There's that change. We're no longer slaves, right? And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness, right? There we go. We're free from that. We can go now be slaves of righteousness. Think about that. Having to do the, the right thing. That's awesome. Wish I could live it, right? But that's where we're at. We, we are where we can be slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Ah, whatever, I don't care. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't have to live that way anymore. In fact, we're obligated to live the other way, and what good fruit comes from it? How awesome is it to live in the way that God wants us to and give him glory for it? Much more peaceful life that way. Much more peaceful. Much more fulfilling and satisfying, right? It said, what fruit were you getting out of what you're ashamed of for? That's a mess, right? Your life's a mess. Now it's not. It doesn't have to be, okay? So there, very clearly... We're not slaves to sin anymore. We don't have to do that. The devil didn't make you do it. Not true. Okay? And now we're slaves to righteousness. That means our obligation is to that. Let's live that way. And when you do, it's good. And it, it follows up, right? So that's kind of the, like a, a background philosophical kind of thing. I don't have to do that anymore. Now I can do this other stuff, and I ought to, and it's good. Practically speaking, again, List after list we can make of the things that, that would be practically in the darkness and practically in the light. Ephesians 5 hits on a really good chunk. I want to share that with you again. I can't do any better than the Bible's doing on this. All right? Ephesians 5, verse 1, says this. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as it is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's our theme. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. A little bit more practical there. Some actions and, and things, the sexual immorality, covetousness. That's, oh, hello, covetousness is something that we're not going to be in the kingdom of Christ for. Check your heart, right? Uh, the different... Of course, joking, so, you know, there's a whole list here. Filthiness. You go other places in the Bible, you find other things that are clearly listed as darkness. you got to find things that are listed as light, too. You see whatever is noble, pure, just in Philippians, right? There's passage after passage of things to direct your brain to what you should be doing versus what you shouldn't be doing. Check them out. Look them up. It's good stuff, right? But that's the, that's the key here. You start with knowing that you don't have to. I don't have to live that way. And in fact, I'm obligated to live for Jesus. It's good stuff, right? And the fruit of that is awesome. Then, how do I do that? I don't do the things that I was doing before that I knew were wrong then. <laughs> I knew it then, and I just didn't care. Now I get it, and i got to step away from that stuff, right? And replace it with better stuff, things that are good, pure, noble, and just, right? That kind of thing. So there's, there's the game for, it's not a game. It's not a game. I, that's a bad choice of words, right? It's not a game. There's the way to live for Christians. Avoid the bad stuff. Avoid the darkness. Run to the light. And when you get to the light, glorify God, because that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, So out of this, hopefully, I, I, I hope you've been able to see a little bit for many parts of our lives. we got to trust Jesus, say who he is, right? And he is the light, going to shed light into the darkness for the world. There's people around us, lost, clueless, and in the dark, and they need to see that light. Whether it's with words, whether it's with deeds, whatever it is you can do to show the light to them, the light of Christ, you got to do that. Because they're lost and they're going to die in their sins. That's what Jesus said. Okay, And then for us, as we're doing that, we're going to have some places where sin's going to grab a hold of us too. We're not slaves anymore, but boy, it can get, it can get some hooks in us. right? That, rope, that spider web turned into a rope is real. Many of us have lived that, Okay, so you know that. Shed that spider web when it's there. It's easier to knock a spider web off than it is to cut a rope. Okay, So be aware, be alert. Be looking to, to see that darkness creeping in and push it away, run to the light. Do good stuff. Think about good things. Find ways to live that are honoring God, that, that show this light to other people. And then when you do that, give him glory, because that's his, it's all his. It's nothing we did. If it weren't for him, we're still wandering around in the dark. right? So let's pray. Lord, as we consider this in our hearts, and we're going to walk into the Lord's Supper here in a minute, it's a big part of considering that. Help us, Father, to uh, recognize light from darkness, to not be blinded, as the Pharisees we read about were, to not put up smoke screens and, and dodges and avoidances. But when you talk to us about the darkness in our life, Lord, help us 
to abandon it and run to the light. Help us to, uh, to not cling to the darkness, Father. Help us to, to cut those spider webs, to um, just abandon it. There is no fruit in that. And Lord, as we do enjoy walking in, in righteousness with you, help us to glorify you and to give you uh, praise and love. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.